In the name of Allah, the most merciful and kind, you are about to listen to an audio representation of the life of the Prophet Muhammad. It does not replace a thorough studying of his life. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Mecca, evening. The traveler shuffled his feet. He was about to take a risk. If his suspicions were true, he would find what he was looking for. Otherwise, he would need to leave the city immediately. He inched closer and closer to the boy. He didn't walk up to him directly, but sidestepped until he was a foot away. The boy didn't even look at him. Psst. Hey, kid. I heard a rumor that someone is calling to one god. Have you heard of this man? Perhaps. If you were to know him, I mean him no harm. Name? Amr ibn Absa. I'm not from Mecca. Follow me ten paces behind. If I bend over to tell my shoe strap, turn left. Anyone asks, you do not know me. Understood. The boy led Amr ibn Absa through the alleys of Mecca, keeping a distance away from him and never giving any indication that he even saw Amr. They remained this way until the boy led him to a house in the narrow street. He opened the wooden doors. He's inside. Thank you. I'm glad I found you. You never saw me. And without another word, the boy disappeared into the alley. Amr ibn Absa stepped into the house. Dead silence filled the room. Thick curtains draped the windows. The darkness was interrupted only by a few dim lanterns that illuminated the corners of the room. But one of the lanterns Amr ibn Absa noticed was not a lantern at all. It was a man sitting at the end of the chamber. A man with a face like the glowing moon. Amr ibn Absa sat in front of the man. There was no doubt about it. This was the one everyone was talking about. Al-Mustafa, the chosen one. A lean, handsome black man sat to the Prophet's left. A thin man with a sparse beard to his right. Amr ibn Absa stared into the man's captivating eyes. There was something different about him. What are you? I am a prophet, he said. What is a prophet? I have been sent by Allah, he said. And what has he sent you with? I have been sent to join family ties, to destroy idols, and to proclaim the oneness of Allah and not associate any partners with him, the prophet said, never looking away from his interviewer. And who is with you on this? The prophet gestured to his right, a free man and a slave. He gestured to the black man on his left. I wish to follow you. You cannot do that on this day. Do you not see my situation and the situation of my people? Go back to your land. But if you hear that I have been granted victory, then come and find me, the prophet said. Very well. If this is the case, then I shall wait for that day. Amr ibn Absa turned back the way he entered. I pray that we shall meet again, prophet. It had been like this for three years. Three years of private meetings and secret sessions in the house of Arqam. 
Abu Bakr had observed the Prophet turn away travelers before, but it still pained him to see it. But the Prophet, peace be upon him, had been explicit. At this stage, they simply could not take outsiders. The risk to the Muslims and themselves was simply too great. Bilal, the slave who sat at the Prophet's left, was now a regular at the house of Arqam, sneaking away from his unsuspecting master to join Rasulullah whenever he could. Fatima, a toddler now, came into the room and tugged at her father's clothes. Baba! He scooped her in his loving arm. <laughs> then it happened. The deep ringing sound he was now accustomed to reverberated in his head. Even though this had happened many times, it was still a difficult experience. Mama? Bilal stood up in concern. Leave him. It is revelation. After some time, the ringing passed, and the Rasul, peace be upon him, returned to the gathering. Everyone was looking at him in awe and anticipation. He had just received new words from Allah, a new message. What has he told you, Ya Rasulullah? What has Allah revealed to you? The Rasul, peace be upon him, inhaled deeply. He knew this day would come eventually. He looked at Abu Bakr and recited, And warn your family, your closest relatives. Islam was about to go public. Chapter 10 Elephant in the Room Abu Lahab ibn Abdul Muttalib was a large man, so the chair he sat on was extra large to match. But it seemed everything Abu Lahab owned was large. His house was the largest in the neighborhood, with the largest front yard, and the largest stable for his many horses. The rings he wore on each finger on both his hands were large too, golden and silver, bejeweled with different precious stones. His real name was Abdul Uzza, but he had earned the kunya Abu Lahab, father of flame. This was due to the angry red blotches on his cheeks that always made him look flustered. Abu Lahab, a man in flame. He had an attitude to match his name as well, which was why his wife, Umm Jamil, did not disturb him even when she saw the visitor making his way to the front yard where the two of them were relaxing in the morning breeze. Eventually, he noticed the visitor on his own. Abu Lahab shifted in his seat. Who is that? Mm, looks like a servant. He thinks he can just walk up to my property like that? He's obviously confused. Abu Lahab stroked his thick beard, which was tied in a knot in the middle. Oh no, no, I know who this is. The dark-skinned and curly-haired figure approached the two of them. He had a youthful energy to him. Beads of sweat glistened on his brow. Blessed morning, Sayyidi, Sayyidati. Zayd extended his hand towards Abu Lahab who neither reached for it nor made eye contact with his visitor. Zayd slowly dropped his hand. The couple did not move from their seats. I just want to let you know that Muhammad is inviting you over for dinner tonight. Mm, your master sent you? Uh, well, my father extended this invitation to you. Dinner, eh? He won't be serving bread and vinegar again, will he? Zayd laughed. <laughs> Abu Lahab did not. 
Well, um, he'll be honored to have you over tonight. He's inviting the entire family, all the children of Abdul Muttalib. He is, is he? And am I the first to receive this invitation? Well, no. I just returned from Abbas and Abu Talib. Abu Lahab's already reddish complexion became scarlet. Well, because they were closer to me, not, not for any other reason. So, dinner at his wife's house, hmm? Zaid had no response to that, so he just nodded. Is there something else you need? Zaid stepped away awkwardly, feeling very uncomfortable. So, Muhammad gets his mullah to invite us to his wife's big house. <laughs> At least he'll actually be there and not sitting all alone in a cave. Abu Lahab shook his head at his disapproving wife. This isn't good, Umm Jamil. Well, you'll have to put up with their food. It would be rude not to go, especially if the entire clan is going. You do not understand. Muhammad isn't inviting us for a social call. This is it. He is finally going to reveal himself. You mean the rumors that he's following a new religion? Indeed. The people have been saying that for three years now. If he was going to expose himself, he would have done it by now. Perhaps. Or perhaps he is waiting for the right moment. And if that moment is now, we cannot give him a chance to open his mouth. The household of the Prophet, peace be upon him, was in motion. They only had a few hours to prepare for the dinner party. While Zaid was out making invitations to the Prophet's various aunts and uncles, Umm Ayman, Ruqayya, and Umm Kulthum were busy cleaning and tidying up. The Prophet's eldest daughter, Zainab, had come over to help as well. She helped her mother move merchandise and clear the guest quarter. They rolled in straw mats and placed cushions along the floor. Is Zubair going to come? Zubair has to come, right? I'm sure he is, Ali. His mother is coming as well. Oh. I don't like it when she comes. Ali, that is unkind. She is your aunt. I know, but whenever she comes, Zubair gets all quiet and weird. Khadija said nothing. She continued to mix the date paste in the bowl. Adding water to it would make the drink Nabiv, which they would serve the guests. The Rasul, peace be upon him, came in with a slaughtered goat over his shoulders. He placed it on the ground and handed a knife to Ali. Ali, please prepare the meat and soup, he said. Yes, Ya Rasulullah. Ali took the knife eagerly and dragged the goat away. He was now 11 years old, fully capable of skinning and cleaning a goat on his own. Khadija added in the water to the date paste. She looked worried. The plan was simple. The Rasul, peace be upon him, had invited nearly the entire Banu Hashim clan. Specifically, the children and grandchildren of Abdul Muttalib. He would serve them a hearty meal before making a formal invitation to Islam and a public declaration of his prophethood, just as Allah had revealed to him in the latest verse of the Qur'an. But how they would react was the real question. Many people in his family already had a strong feeling of what he was up to, but now there would be no speculation. It would be out in the open. Some of the guests, such as Zubair, Jafar, or Al-Abbas's wife, Lubaba, were already Muslims, but this had remained a secret for the last three years. The Rasul, peace be upon him, reassured Khadija that this was what Allah had commanded. 
No more hiding, no more secrets. Soon, the house was filled with the aroma of cooked meat, and every inch of the guest quarters was covered in cushions or mats. Unlike the Romans, Arabs preferred to eat on the floor. Finally, the first guests began to arrive. Blessed evening, nephew. How are you? Welcome, Abu Talib. Can I take your cloak? Thank you, Zay. Thank you. Muhammad, I was so pleased to get your invitation. I hope you do not mind. I brought Aqil, Talib, and Fatima with me. Welcome, father and mother. Ali held his parents' hands, placing a kiss on his mother's knuckles. He did not hug Abu Talib. Both Abu Talib and Fatima bint Asad were dressed very modestly. A few patches decorated Abu Talib's clothes. Since he was the most senior member, he sat at the front of the room with the biggest cushion, his back against the wall, staff in hand. Not long after was Al-Abbas with his wife Lubaba and Jafar ibn Abi Talib. Mmm, I smell meat. Have you worked your wonders, Tahira? He called to Khadija, who had drawn a curtain in the center of the room, to give the women their privacy. By Allah, it is your nephew who worked the wonder. I helped too, Uncle Abbas. Did you, huh? <laughs> Maybe you can teach your brother here. He gave Jafar a whack on the back that nearly toppled him. Jafar gave a sheepish grin. The Rasul, peace be upon him, saw his own uncertainty in Jafar's face. Their eyes met. Jafar knew what was going to happen tonight. There was an unspoken understanding that neither of them could act like they were anything more than cousins. The Rasul, peace be upon him, welcomed more and more guests. His cousins, aunts, and uncles filed in gradually the house getting more and more crowded. His cousin, Mughira, who had grown up with Muhammad, walked in, closely followed by his aunt, Atika. Everyone would first greet and thank the host, shaking Muhammad's hand and thanking him for the invitation. Then they would walk over to Abu Talib and give him a special greeting, the younger ones kissing his hand out of respect. Thank you, thank you, may Allah bless you. Guests had to adhere to this conduct. Manners were extremely important to the Arabs. As the host, the Rasul, peace be upon him, showed his hospitality, handing clay cups of Nabiv to each guest. There was also a cup of milk, which was being passed around the room, starting with Abu Talib and then others in order of seniority, while a conversation on poetry went on. Labid is an excellent poet, I'm telling you. If he keeps this up, he will have his verses on the Kaaba in no time. I agree, but I doubt Walid ibn Mughira will be happy if someone from the Hawazin tribe becomes the next hanging poet. Oh, shush, Abbas. Since when did we care about what makes Walid ibn Mughira happy? The Rasul, peace be upon him, opened the door. His uncle Abu Lahab filled the doorframe, red-skinned and crimson garb, making him look more like a walking flame than ever, his stony-faced wife barely visible behind him. Greetings, nephew. I hope we are not late. The Rasul, peace be upon him, welcomed the couple inside. Abu Lahab wore an orange turban with an emerald stitched into it. He removed his elaborately colored cloak and shoved it at Zaid without looking at him. A tiny figure of the goddess Uzza hung around his neck. Upon seeing him, all the guests stood up to greet him. Welcome, brother. Hello, uncle. 
Abu Lahab's wife, Umm Jamil, made her way to the other side of the room, where the women were already talking and laughing joyfully. Hello, Khadija. No sooner had Zayd hung Abu Lahab's cloak than the door swung open without a knock. A tall and thick boned woman in a brown headscarf stood at the door. She did not wait for an invitation. Waving a fan at herself, she marched right inside. Behind her, a teenage boy dragged his feet nervously. The Rasul welcomed his aunt Safiya and her son, Zubair ibn al-Awwam. Thank you, Muhammad. Always a pleasure to see you in Khadija. Ow! Don't drag your feet, Zubair. You're embarrassing me in front of Muhammad. Sorry. Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib marched through the men. They all backed away, except her brother Abu Lahab, who crossed his arms at her. What's where you're walking, woman? Can't you see I'm... Ugh! Brother, you're a drunken fool. I saw you going to the fire alleys last night, you miserable man. Is it a crime to drink? It's a disgrace when you do it every night. Ow! Will you stop hitting me, woman? Will you stop drinking? Do I need to invoke the gods on you? Khadija peered out behind the curtain, looking for the commotion. Oh, welcome, Sophia. Khadija, so nice to see you. How's the little flower? Fatima, come out and say hello to your Aunt Sophia. Hello. Come here, my darling. <laughs> Abu Lahab was rubbing his temple. A few of the youngsters were snickering behind their hands. Zubair and Ali sat next to each other, sneaking in a whisper or two when nobody was watching. Hey, Zubair. Hey, Ali. Safiya put Fatima down. And everyone will know how well-behaved you are, my darling. I'll be taking her this Friday, Khadija. I know your store is busy that day. That's very kind of you, Sophia. But I think we can manage. Nonsense. You have work to do, and I need to teach her how to be a young lady. I hate to interrupt, but shall we not eat? Manners are best. We must wait till everyone arrives. The Rasul counted the heads around the room. There were now around 40 people in his house. Well, it looks like everyone is here except... Hello, hello, hello. Hamza! Hamza! Oh yeah, forgot about Hamza. The Prophet had a second to see his uncle Hamza strutting through the door before he was lifted off his feet. How's my favorite nephew? <laughs> the Prophet was reminded of Jibreel's mighty squeeze as Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib hugged him tight enough to suffocate him. Whoa, sorry there, Abu Forgot my own strength for a moment. Hamza was tall and muscular. His biceps and forearms were swollen, his hair long and flowing to his shoulders. Beard, huge chest, and a handsome grin. <laughs> a lion pelt covered the top of his chest. He had a wide leather belt with a sword around his waist and a cape around his shoulders. Bakhin, Bakh, did you bring a sword? Sure did. Here, you want it? Catch. Really? Of course. I got three others like it. Not fair. Where's mine? Oh, yeah. No one's gonna mess with me now. You really shouldn't waste a good weapon on Zubair. He's never going to use it. Zubair's face went red. Nonsense. He's part of the family. A real warrior. Right, Zubair? Uh, yeah. Right, Ali? Yeah. You think you can take me, boy? Wallahi, I can. I'm the Lion of Banu Hesh. Come on, get it. What do you got? You're nothing. Give me your best. Rawr. Take that. Rawr. Zubair's face lit up again as Ali tried wrestling Hamza, <laughs> though he was barely bigger than his forearm. Do you get more muscular every time I see you, brother? Hamza gave Sophia a big hug. They were full brother and sister, sharing the same mother and father. Miss you, sis. Where have you been? Me? It's you who's always out hunting lions. 
You mean this lion? Saddle Ali, do not bite your uncle Hamza. Was not your precious Hamza drinking last night as well, Sophia? Don't make me strike you again. This is injustice. Why is it permissible for him but not me? I'm more handsome. The Rasul, peace be upon him, smiled at his family. It was not too often when everyone gathered like this. Abu Talib had raised him when he was young. Hamza was like a brother to him. Al-Abbas, always a reliable advisor. These were the people that needed to hear his message. This was the family he loved and cared about. The family that needed to be guided to the straight path. The Prophet asked Ali to bring in trays of food, cooked goat with bread and bowls of soup. The Prophet took a handful of meat and split it with his teeth. Take it in the name of Allah, he said to Ali. He distributed the trays around the room. The meat was spread thin. Trays were being shared with three or four people at once. They sat on the floor and ate with their hands, chatting, laughing, and catching up with each other. Thanks, Ali. Hand that over to me, boy. He could hear the women talking behind the curtain as well. I don't hate him. Of course I don't. I just feel some words of encouragement would really help him. Khadija, the boy, lost his father. Your brother was a great man. And if he was alive, he would have raised Zubair to be strong. That responsibility falls on me now. Our sons must be tough, rough, and ruthless. Yes, but my brother Awam still would have shown some kindness to Zubair. Speaking of sons, you should really try the idol I recommended, Khadija. Invoke it twice a day and you'll have young men in no time. All these daughters are not going to benefit you. The young men and teenagers were huddled around Hamza, who was telling a dramatic story of his latest hunt. A big monster of a beast jumps out of the crevice. I had my bow ready, but man, that thing was fast. It jumped right at me. So instead of shooting the arrow, I shoved it in its eye socket. Whoa. Is that how you got that lion pelt on your chest? Nah, this one was from a completely different hunt. But lesson learned, always have an arrow feeder. His eyes caught Muhammad. Muhammad knows all about that, don't you? Ha <laughs> ha, what a warrior he is. During the Fajar Wars, he used to feed me the arrows faster than I could launch them. Couldn't ask for a better partner on the battlefield. The Rasul smiled. Hamza gave him a pat on the back. Down by the front of the house, business was the subject matter. You gotta invest in Persian corn. I'm telling you, the Romans have no chance of winning this war. Roman, Persian, I don't care if the money comes from the land of the jinn. Al-As ibn Wa'il owes me money and he needs to pay. Al-As ibn Wa'il has always been untrustworthy with his debts. I would call upon the people of Hilful Fudul. Ugh. Oh, please. What's Hilful Fudul? Sometimes I forget you weren't born here, Zaid. Well, years ago, a Yemeni merchant was ripped off by a Qurashi. Nobody stood up for him, so he complained to anyone who would listen that Mecca was a place of injustice, a city of crooks and thieves. Well, that wasn't good for business. So a couple of people from the Quraysh got together and made a pact to uphold justice. It was called Hilful Fudul, a pact of chivalry. Anyone who calls upon this group will get their rights, even if they have no clan or tribe to support them. That sounds very virtuous. Indeed it is. They agreed on the pact in the house of Ibn Jad'an and made the oath at the Kaaba. Muhammad sat next to his uncle. I witnessed the pact in the house of Abdullah ibn Jadan. 
That was more beloved to me than a herd of red camels, he said. You're a member of the Pact of Chivalry? Yes, indeed he is. Muhammad always takes up the cause of justice. He brings us much honor and pride. I just want my damn money. Despite Abu Lahab's bitterness over his dues, everyone ate and drank happily. Even though the food was little and the guests were many, none of the trays seemed to get any emptier. Whatever meat was eaten seemed to remain in the tray. The cup of milk had circled around the room several times, each guest taking a long sip, and yet the cup remained full. The Rasul, peace be upon him, was pleased. His guests were in good spirits and he had shown them hospitality. Now was the time to present the message. They would be much more likely to listen to him now. And if they could just listen, then maybe they could be guided. He stood in the center of the room. His family members were now reclining along the house with full bellies. His uncle Abu Lahab saw what the Rasul was doing and sat up suddenly. Gather round, gather round, our ancestors' stories I found. Hear the tales of past and legacies that last. Everyone began to shift their seats towards the front of the room to where Abu Lahab and Abu Talib sat. They couldn't have looked more dissimilar. One thin with a white beard, the other large with a black one. One with shabby robes, the other extravagant and bright. Muhammad stood there awkwardly. Abu Lahab had made his announcement before him. What story should we tell them, brother? <coughs> Stories of our ancestors, for sure. Perhaps Qusayi or Abdul Manaf. Did you know our ancestor Hashim was the inventor of the famous Tharid recipe? It is a delicious story. We should tell them something interesting. A tale to inspire the youngsters. Muhammad felt too shy to interrupt, so instead he took a seat beside Fatima. Ah, I know of a story of our great father that not even your children know, Muhammad. The Year of the Elephant. Oh, I know this story though. I meant the real children. By blood. Zaid was suddenly very interested in clearing out the trays and cups from the room. Indeed, this is an excellent story. A very important part of our history that the youth should know. Everyone gathered closer. Ali and Zubair at the front. Safiya emerged from the women's side and took a seat. The Rasul's daughters got closer as well. Abu Lahab stroked his beard with his bejeweled fingers, deep in thought. He was enjoying the attention. As you all know, our father, Abdul Muttalib, was the greatest of the Arabs. He was the undisputed leader of the Quraysh. He was strong, brave, wise, and fiercely loyal. He was the one who discovered the Zamzam well of Mecca. From it we drink and quench our animals. But his greatest legacy was in the year of the elephant. Will you not tell us a story, uncle? Yeah, come on, Abdullah. Stop being dramatic. Well, many years ago, the lands of Yemen were ruled by the Abyssinians. Their empire was powerful and vast. The governor of Yemen was a man by the name of Abrahal Ashram, a devout Christian who worshipped the cross above everything else. I'm pretty sure Christians worship Jesus. Hamza, will you stop interrupting me? Abraha was envious of the Kaaba here in Mecca. 
He saw how all the Arabs revered it and traveled from across the desert to perform pilgrimage. So, one day he declared, I shall construct the greatest and most iconic church the world has ever seen. And so he did. A magnificent cathedral was constructed with the intent that all Arabs should worship there instead of the sacred God. I, Abraha, governor of Yemen, ruler of the Himayarites, declare that all Arabs must perform their pilgrimage at my grand cathedral. No man shall travel to the pagan city of Mecca any longer. Naturally, the Arab tribes completely ignored this ridiculous decree. Not only that, uh, a few people wanted to add, uh, add a little insult to They secretly entered the church and, well, they, they made it unclean. <laughs> Classic. Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> it means they squatted down, pulled down their garments, and took a- Ow! We get it already! Spare us the details! Anyways, Abraha was absolutely livid from such a foul insult. Oh, those filthy inbred camel herders! I shall teach those idolaters a lesson they'll never forget! Prepare the army! We march to Mecca immediately! Yes, sir! Abraha prepared a massive army and set out to destroy the Kaaba. And at the front of his army, his own personal elephant. What's an elephant? Huh? I said, what's an elephant? You don't know what an elephant is? No. <laughs> an elephant is what I used to call my mother-in-law. Um Jamil rolled her eyes. An elephant is a huge animal from faraway lands. It has big ears and a long nose. Nothing I couldn't hunt, of course. Is it bigger than a camel? Of course it is, Zubaid. What a stupid question to ask. Alright, sorry. Jafar gave a sympathetic pat on Zubair's shoulder. Anyways, Abraha marched his army forward. A dozen elephants and thousands of soldiers all ready to destroy the house of Allah. He himself rode on the biggest elephant, a white one he called Mahmoud. News of the army reached Mecca, and the chiefs of Quraysh gathered at Dar and Nedwa to decide what to do. We have to fight. If we band together, we can take on this army. Yes! We fight. We either prevail or we die with honor. No! Abdul Muttalib, however, had a different idea. No, we will not fight. There is no chance for us to prevail. And what honor will our deaths bring if the house of God is destroyed? No, this is not a time to fight. By Allah, we do not want to fight him. Abdul Muttalib. Are you suggesting we just do nothing? So far as this house is concerned, it is the house of Allah. If he wants to save it, he will save it. And if he leaves it unprotected, no one 
can see it. Abraham marched through Arabia. No tribes could stop him, though many brave warriors tried. Attack! Who did you kill the others? No, no, no. He crushed every resistance. The Benu Thaqif tribe from Ta'if lost all nerve and betrayed us. They offered to take Abraha to Mecca, those cowards. He got closer and closer to Mecca. His soldiers would pillage anything and everything they could. Eventually, they ended up stealing 200 camels. 200 of our father's camels. He's so bad. Indeed he was, young Fatima. When Abraha was right outside the city, Abdul Muttalib went to his camp. Stop! Hey, you! Don't get any closer! I said stop! Put that thing down. I wish to speak to your master. Let him in. Abdul Muttalib entered Abraha's tent. When he saw our father, he was impressed. Our father was fearless, strong, eloquent. He felt humble. He even got off of his own throne. Please, have a seat next to me. No need for a translator. I speak Arabic. Thank you. Please ignore him. He was the last Arab that opposed me. You're the one they call Abdul Muttalib. I am. I've heard many things about you, sir. You're a man of honor and lineage. Tell me, why are you here? Have you come to negotiate? No, I have not. Then what can I do for you? I have come for what is rightfully mine. And what is that? Your soldiers stole some of my camels on their way to wherever you are going. I want them back. What's yours is yours. I apologize for this transgression. I've come to serve Jesus Christ. Nothing else. You'll get your camels back. Thank you. Is that all? Yes, that is all. I will be going now. I must admit, I'm disappointed in you, Abdul Muttalib. When I first saw you, I had so much respect for you. You seemed honorable and brave. Most men cower before me, yet you came right into my tent. I've come to destroy your most sacred temple, the most holy thing in your religion. And all you care about is your camels. Hmm, well... I am the master of the camels, and they are of my responsibility. As for the holy sanctuary, Allah is the master of that. And he will defend it if he so chooses. That night, the city of Mecca evacuated in preparation of the coming attack. Our father made his way to the Holy Kaaba and held on to its drapes. The people of the elephant are coming. 
They intend to destroy this house. Our families and children are hiding in the mountains. There is nothing left to do but wait. Oh, Allah! We have no protectors. Even our neighbors have betrayed us. We have not the strength, my lord. I am no king. I command no army. But every man is the protector of his home. This is your home, Allah. Protect your home. Protect it. Did our grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, did he worship one god? <laughs> of course not. I never heard of anyone do such a thing. No, all of our ancestors worshipped the 300 gods we have today. Even Ibrahim from ancient times worshipped them. Ali and Zubayr gave each other an uneasy look. The Prophet, peace be upon him, frowned ever so slightly. The next day came... March! Let us go! Let us go! Everyone watched from the mountains as the army advanced with the gigantic elephant Mahmoud at the front. Let's finish this. Unais, tell Mahmoud to crush their little shrine. Yes, sir! But right at the most crucial moment, something strange happened. Mahmoud! Mahmoud! Don't do it! That's the house of Allah! Kneel! What's going on? Why is the elephant kneeling? I don't know, sir. I'll make a move. Go! Come on! Hit him harder! Let's go! Come on! They couldn't force it? They definitely tried. But something had taken hold of Mahmoud that day. Something very powerful. And something was about to take hold of them, too. Sir, the sky is turning black. No! Ah! No! Abdul Muttalib, what is that? That, my friend, is God protecting his home. A swarm of birds descended on the valley. They were so numerous that they blocked out the sun. They held burning stones in their beaks and claws. They pelted them at the army, incinerating them where they stood. The Kaaba was saved. Abraha suffered a most painful death and our father became the most honored of the Arabs. Nothing was left of them, except their weapons and slaves, of course, which the Quraysh happily took. That's what happens when he mess with the Quraysh. The happiness didn't end there. Less than two months later, I heard the good news that my full brother, Abdullah, had the blessing of a child. Our host, Muhammad, born in the year of the elephant. If only Abdullah had lived to see the great man you are today, Muhammad. Everyone was looking at the Prophet, sitting with Fatima on his lap. Abdul Muttalib brought great honor to the Banu Hashim. 
He died a few years later, but we shall never forget him. And we shall never stray away from the way of our ancestors. Because there will never be another man like Abdul Muttalib. Spoken true. Spoken true. The room was silent, eyes lowered in respect. The Rasul, peace be upon him, saw his opportunity. He stood up. Before he had had a chance to say anything, however, well, it's been a pleasure, but I have some debts to collect tomorrow. Thank you, Muhammad. That meal was quite fine. Yeah, should probably get going too. Thanks, Muhammad. Come on, Jafar. Panic set in the Prophet's heart. Everyone was getting up to leave. They were thanking him and heading for the door. He hadn't gotten a chance to say a single thing about Islam. Abu Lahab turned to Zaid. My cloak, now. Zaid did not look in very good spirits as he went to fetch Abu Lahab's cloak. Wait, Muhammad, what about- Thank you for dinner, Muhammad. Always a pleasure. Zubayn, come on, let's go. No offense, love the Nabith, but I prefer my drinks with a little bit of bite. See you soon, Muhammad. Zubayr handed the sword back to Hamza. Keep it, Zubayr. Every warrior needs a weapon. Oh, you never told us how you killed the lion on your chest. What? This thing? Javelin. Straight through the heart. Hamza and Zubayr were the last guests to leave. Um Ayman, Zainab, Ruqayya, and Um Kulthum began clearing away the house. All that was left was an irritable Zaid, a confused Ali, a disappointed Khadija, and the Prophet. Well, that was a good dinner. The Prophet felt his insides burning. How had this happened? This whole dinner was supposed to be about inviting his family to Islam. But his uncle Abu Lahab had cut him off at every turn. Ya Rasulullah, we didn't tell them about Islam. The Prophet spoke, more to himself than anyone else. Allah ordered me to warn my family, my closest relatives. But this task is beyond me. And I know that if I make this message known to them, they will respond with great bitterness. A great sense of failure was washing over him. You must do as commanded, or Allah will punish you. The Prophet jumped. Jibri's voice had come from all around him. Muhammad, are you alright? The Prophet clenched his fists. A vein was throbbing in his forehead. Jibril had snapped him out of that feeling of hopelessness. If his family was going to try to impede him, then so be it. We will do it again, he said. Again? Are you sure? The Prophet turned to Khadija with determination in his eyes and said, He spoke before I could, and the people dispersed before I could address them. So tomorrow, do exactly as you did today. What if it doesn't work? The Rasul, peace be upon him, now addressed his whole family. The believer is not stung from the same hole twice. Mmm, this food tastes even better than yesterday. Indeed, two invitations back to back. Your generosity knows no bounds, my nephew. That's Muhammad for you, taking care of his family's appetite. I could get used to this. Right, Abu Lahab? Huh? Oh, yes. Very generous of him. The Prophet stood up as everyone began to finish eating. Abu Lahab jumped up suddenly. Uh, I, I just remembered. I must be off immediately. What? But, but we've barely finished eating. Apologies. Urgent matter. The Prophet interjected. I have something important to say. Abu Lahab's face darkened. 
Sit down, brother. Our host is addressing us. Yeah, come on, Abdulazza. Sit down. Reluctantly, Abu Lahab returned to his seat, his mouth thin and closed tight, his fists balled. The Prophet's family looked at him. Some, like Abu Talib, looked curious. Others, like Abbas, were uneasy. All praises are due to Allah, he said. We praise him and we seek his assistance and we ask for his forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evils of ourselves and from the evils of our own actions. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray. And whoever is led astray, there is no guidance for him. As for what follows, O children of Abdul Muttalib, I do not know of any Arab before me that came to his people with a message that is better than what I am coming to you with. I am coming to you with something that will give you this world and the hereafter. The smile on Abu Talib's face remained, but seemed to falter slightly. Hamza seemed confused, and Abu Lahab had the expression of one who was being irritated by a fly. This seems like an unworthy message. We have the way of our forefathers. Who does this young man think he is coming and opposing the way of our forefathers? The Rasul pressed on. I am coming as a messenger from Allah, that if you leave your idolatry and turn to him, then Allah will give you all the good of this world and give you Jannah in the next. So who will join me in this matter? Whoa, to this! Ah. Easy, brother, easy. Your host has bewitched you. You shouldn't have done this, Muhammad. Now, now, there is no need for such... Is this what you and Muhammad have been doing, Khadija? Yes, it is a wonderful message, Um Jamil. If you just listen to... I am disappointed in the both of you. Zubair, come here. We're leaving. But mom, Chaos ensued. Abu Lahab and his wife Um Jamil were making a fuss at the door. May the gods curse you! everyone just calm down? What does that even mean? Abu Lahab, you cannot just storm out of your nephew's home like this. Oh, yes, I can. Let go of me. Will everyone just calm down? No, I will not calm down. Our father, Abdul Muttalib, was ten times the man you are, Muhammad. Ten times. Do you hear me? You think you know better than our forefathers? We have worshipped Allah and Uzza for generations. Who are you to tell us otherwise? What do you have to say for yourself, young man? All eyes turned to the Rasul, peace be upon him. He remained expressionless. He asked calmly, Who will join me in this matter? His four uncles all mirrored the same shocked expression. They were too stunned to say anything. O oh, Messenger of Allah, I will join you in this matter. Thank you, Ali, the Rasul said. This is my brother. Hearken to him and follow his example. This is your follower? <laughs> <laughs> This boy! <laughs> it would take another hour for everyone to gradually leave, in varying degrees of indignation. Abu Lahab's family left first, his curses and foul language echoing outside the street bewitched, as he stormed off. You, he's completely bewitched. His cousin Murira scoffed once before following suit. Abbas with his family next. Son of my brother, I do not understand why you did this. Until finally it was just Abu Talib. The Prophet explained to his uncle that this was his duty. Islam would be better for them and bring them happiness. I know, I know. I am sure it is a wonderful religion. 
Do not despair from what Abu Lahab said. The Banu Hashim are proud of their history. They, they won't just give up the way of their ancestors because you asked them to. But, but worry not. I am sure he will calm down eventually. In the meantime, you can carry on with Salam. Islam. Islam, as long as you like. The chief of the Banu Hashim gave his salutations and went home with his family. The Prophet was left wondering how poorly his message was received by his extended family. Did they not realize that Islam had been the religion of the sacred Kaaba all along? That the man who constructed it was no more a believer in the idols than he was? That the one who had halted that mighty elephant and sent a swarm of birds was not a Lat or Uzza. It was Allah, the true Lord of their ancestor, Ibrahim. Ibrahim glorified Allah in his jail cell. Allah would save him. He knew he would. But until then, he would wait patiently in the prison his people had put him in. A young boy walked up to the bars. Ibrahim recognized the face of his young nephew, Lut. He held the bars in his hands as though to rip them from the walls. I will join you in this religion, he said. I will be a Muslim too. You're listening to The Sound of Sira, brought to you by Islam by Touch.